It's Thursday, January 3rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. We're about two weeks into the partial government shutdown, and there still seems to be no end in sight. President Trump continues to stand firm that he needs $5 billion for border security, and Democrats begin their control of the House and hold firm that they will not give him that money. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to discuss the government shutdown impasse. Next, NASA has made space exploration history, observing the most distant space object ever, and it looks like a lumpy red snowman. The New Horizon spacecraft, traveling at 32,000 miles per hour, did a flyby of a space object called Ultima Thule, which is about 4 billion miles from Earth. Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios, joins us to discuss this great space achievement to start off the year and what to expect in 2019. Finally, it's a new year and everyone is concerned with health and wellness and those New Year's resolutions that you never keep. On top of a lot of people's lists, however, is getting some better sleep. The secret to that might be figuring out your chronotype. Are you a morning person or a night owl or something in between? Shauna Leibowitz, reporter at Business Insider, joins us to talk about the four main chronotypes, bears, dolphins, lions, and wolves. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We're in a shutdown because Democrats refuse to fund uh, the border security. They try and make it like it's just about the wall, and it is about the wall. We're in uh, the shutdown because of the fact that the Democrats are looking to 2020. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. The government shutdown has uh, extended. We're just under two weeks going. There seems to be no end in sight. The president at a press conference talking about how he's going to keep it closed until he gets his money. Democrats are holding firm as well, saying they are not going to give him that money. The new Congress takes their seats today and they're going to pass some some bills that would reopen it. But nothing's going to get done without the Senate and the president. What is going on with this government shutdown? This is the most boring government shutdown I've ever covered. And it's not the first, it's the third. There really is just an impasse in Washington and no sign that they are going to break. And for the past nearly two weeks of the government being shut down, no sign that they were trying to come up with a resolution. They have all gone home. They headed back into Washington on Wednesday after getting their New Year holiday done. And we know that... There were some meetings. The president met with leaders from Congress, but really just not able to come off of the positions. The president held an hour and and over an hour and a half, hour and 40 minute cabinet meeting in which he again repeated his insistence that he needs money for a wall on the southern border. And as you said, today is the day that Democrats take control of the United States House and they're going to pass some spending bills. We could see them pass bills to reopen the House every day going forward. Not going to get very far. They will pass those bills and may unclear whether the Senate will even hold votes, even though they passed this legislation unanimously before, now saying they aren't going to vote until they find something that the president will sign. This is only a partial government shutdown, so it affects about 800,000 federal workers, 380,000 are furloughed, 420,000 are working without immediate pay. I think their next paycheck is January 11th, so that's when they're really going to see the effects of this. And as you were saying, the president had a meeting saying that he's still going to hold out until he gets the money. It's a tough place for Republicans because they don't know what he's doing or what his thinking is. I think Vice President Mike Pence was working out a deal, trying to work out a deal where they said maybe half 
of the money that he wanted, $2.5 billion, and we could have a deal. And the president said, no, that's not going to happen. I need the full funding. That's the biggest frustration I've heard over the holidays from Republican senators who were telling us they don't know what the president will sign. They don't know what the president wants. They don't know what the president's willing to accept. This was a really quiet time in Washington. This would have been quiet anyway. Most people take a vacation between Christmas and New Year's. Many government agencies were able to stay open despite the shutdown using sort of leftover money from the previous year. But the real effects are going to be felt now. The Smithsonian closed on Wednesday. That means if you were taking a, a vacation to Washington and hoping to see the museums, you were met with locked doors on Wednesday and going forward. That's the kind of thing that starts to get people moving whenever the tourists start to be affected in Washington. But really, the effects have been sort of muted and delayed until now. What is the sense around town? I, I've seen a couple polls that say that Voters blame the president more than Democrats for the government shutdown. What are you hearing? And then what are you hearing from these government workers themselves that are not working or not getting paid? We had a poll, a Reuters Ipsos poll this past week that found a plurality of Americans blame the president for this many more than they blame Democrats, including some in his base that say 25 percent that say they're happy the president shut the government down in order to get wall funding. But they think that this is on him. Workers tell me they're frustrated. You know, I was I was in a bar yesterday with an attorney at the Department of Justice, and he says he's not supposed to, but he brought on two briefcases full of work so that he could keep working uh, during the shutdown, and he's ready to go back to work. I think that we're going to see that frustration really start to come to the surface, and people start to notice the things that the government normally would be doing that aren't getting done, start to see cases delayed, start to see EPA or DHS saying we can't do the things that we had planned to do. So people will start to feel more frustrated as this drags on even longer. You had mentioned earlier that a lot of people were taking vacations. It's the holidays. The president in uh, those reactions he had from yesterday said that he was lonely over the holidays because he spent the time at the White House instead of going on vacation himself. He uh, also talked about Jim Mattis saying he essentially fired him by moving up his departure date by two months. And he also had words about Mitt Romney, who had an op-ed saying that the president is not doing very well right now. Well, what about these guys? You know, there was a lot of consternation among Republicans in Washington that the president wasn't fully utilizing the bully pulpit these last two weeks, that he was in the White House, but all he was doing was sending tweets, that he wasn't getting out and holding events so that people would see him on the news talking about this Republicans and, and Demo, or more specifically Democrats not coming to negotiate with Republicans over ending the shutdown. If he had any of that pent up, he let it out on Wednesday in an hour and a half, over hour and a half of what was sort of just a free-flowing rant. He said at one point that he fired General Mattis, even though we understand that Mattis resigned in protest as the Secretary of Defense. He said that he was alone. He took a, another shot at Mitt Romney, who took a big shot at him in an op-ed in the Washington Post, saying that Mitt Romney needed to be a team player. Mitt Romney will officially become a U.S. Senator today when Congress reconvenes. So there was just a lot there. He was sort of freewheeling. And it wasn't clear that he had, uh, as we said earlier, a real position of bargaining. He got asked a couple of times if he would take a smaller amount for the wall, and he kept saying he wouldn't say. There's not any indication that he said privately, just won't say so publicly. So there was it was a bit of a, of a, of a spectacle. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
We think what we're looking at is perhaps the most primitive object uh, that has yet been seen by uh, any spacecraft and may represent a class of objects which are the oldest and most primitive objects that can be seen anywhere in the present solar system. Joining us now is Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios. NASA just made space exploration history by observing the most distant space object ever, and it looks like a big red snowman now that we're getting pictures of it. It's called Ultima Thule. What is this thing? So this thing is what's known as a contact binary. It's the first such world that we've ever seen. Basically, you can think of it as two relatively smallish icy spheres that have been fused together over time while spinning about an axis. Rotational rate is about every 15 hours. So it's just out there spinning about 4 billion miles away from Earth. And it's in a region of space that is thought to be home to all of these types of objects that haven't changed much since the dawn of the solar system. So basically, it's it's a time capsule. Um, you know, it's as if school kids, uh, you know, buried this thing in the ground uh, and came across it 4.5 billion years later uh, and took a look at it. And um, that's what we're getting a look at. We're looking at uh, what might have been the the building blocks of both planets and comets. You called it Mm -hmm. an icy world. And as you're saying, it's comprised of building blocks of early planets and things like that. So it's not a meteorite or a comet or something like that. It's like an early formation stage of a planet type of thing, right? Yeah, it probably was materials like this that went on to form planets and went on to form comets for a variety of reasons, objects, in this part of space, which is a billion miles beyond Pluto. They're so far from the gravitational pull of the large planet that they're kind of adrift. And it's an incredibly cold region of space and a very dark region with a very dim starlight. So it's thought that there's some icy remnants out there and that what they can do is by studying this, they can test their hypotheses for how planets form in the first place. Do they form as the result of violent collisions between objects, or do they form more out of slow conglomerations of stuff, sort of like a kid playing with Play-Doh, adding pieces into a ball over time. How are we observing this now? Because this is NASA's New Horizons spacecraft. It launched in 2006. And in 2015, it gave us a ton of data on Pluto. Now this one, I've read a couple places that we're straining the capabilities of this spacecraft. So the spacecraft is healthy. It's 13 years old, but it's healthy. It has a relatively weak antenna. It's out there 4 billion miles away. It takes six hours or or so for a signal to reach Earth broadcast from the spacecraft. And it can only down, we can only download it at a certain rate. You know, it's not exactly Fios or broadband or something like that. We're limited by the speed of the antenna here and the energy that they can devote to it because they don't want to use up all the battery. Six hours, 4 billion 
Billy Miles, that doesn't sound too bad, though. It doesn't, actually. It sounds a little bit faster than my home internet, actually. <laughs> I think that it's amazing what they did was, you know, this thing passed Pluto in 2015. That was the original mission. And then they said, hey, wait a minute, we got a healthy spacecraft, and it's going out beyond Pluto based on its flight path and gravitational uh you know, it wasn't passing anything else that was going to slingshot it in a different direction. And the Hubble Space Telescope had identified this object in 2014, and they set set course for it. But hearing from the navigation team during the press conferences on uh, New Year's Eve was really impressive. I mean, this thing is only about 20 miles at its longest point, yeah, which is incredibly small. Right. In the, and the big expanse of space, it's tiny. Yeah. And the spacecraft is the size of a piano and it's moving at 32,000 miles per hour and they wanted to get it around 2,200 miles away from the object and they wanted to be reasonably sure that there wasn't any space to breathe. So they weren't sure whether all their calculations were right and whether it was going to survive or hit something and it looks like it was a stunning success. Is there anything big on the horizon for 2019 as far as space travel, spacecrafts, any, anything like that? 2019 is going to be a pretty big year. We're going to see if all remains on schedule. We're going to see two companies. SpaceX and Boeing launched the first crewed commercial crew test missions and possibly actual missions to the International Space Station. So humans will once again be launched into space from the United States. That hasn't happened since 2011. China is going to be trying to land a spacecraft on the far side of the moon, which has never been done before. That's going to happen any day now. We don't know exactly when. It's a little bit murkier than NASA is in terms of their public communications. Many other nations are going to be launching missions and there's going to be a ton of unveilings of new space systems by U.S. companies. It's really going to be a pretty big year for space exploration uh, in the U.S. and abroad. Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Anytime. At what time your clock runs is called your chronotype, and yours is a wolf. So what does that mean? Wolves are nocturnal. Their energy level is later in the day, early evening in fact. Wolves tend to sleep in, be creative, and even cunning. Joining us now is Shauna Leibowitz, reporter for Business Insider. You know, it's a new year. Everybody has their New Year's resolutions that they want to take care of. Everybody's focused on health and wellness because you got to start the new year off right. And we saw your article. It was very interesting to me. It's all about sleep. That's one of the things that I think eludes many of us. And you started off your article saying that you're a sucker for daily routine stories. And I am exactly that person. I always love to hear what people think your routine should be because everybody's so different and it's hard to nail down. But you did something to uh, modify your sleep schedule and you're saying you feel so much better because of it. You talked to the sleep doctor, Michael Bruce. One thing that interesting came out of it was that he came up with four main chronotypes. Basically, if you're a morning person, a night person or somewhere in between and uh, they have funny animal names, you're either a bear, a dolphin, a lion or a wolf. So tell us a little bit about that. 
are a, an easy way to remember the different types of chronotypes. And about half the population in the world is a bear, meaning they are generally good sleepers and they wake up with the sun and go to bed when it's late at night. But then there are also wolves who sort of get a later start to the day. They're really tired if they have to wake up early in the morning for work. There are also lions who wake up at the crack of dawn just raring to go. And then there are also dolphins who are frequently diagnosed as insomniacs because they are a bit of fitful sleepers and they don't really fall into any of the other prescribed categories. And I think those people are really the focus of a lot of these uh, routine type of articles, the people that have the most problems with sleeping. I took a quiz that Dr. Bruce has on his website just to find out what kind of sleeper I am. I am a wolf. And you take a little free quiz and it tell, he kind of identifies a couple things about you. And I was like nodding my head. I was like, yeah, that is me. I do like to wake up a little later. I do stay up late at night. And little things, nuances that he had in what he was saying showed to be pretty accurate. I also took the quiz and I thought that I would come out a different chronotype, like maybe a dolphin or something, but instead I came out a bear. And then when I took Dr. Bruce's advice and followed the best daily routine for a bear, I found that I was actually much more energized and productive. So that's the thing. It's all about uh, seeing what kind of sleeping personality you have and then adjusting your schedule to that. Let's talk a little bit about what you did, changes you made and how you felt after. First things first, though, I mean, all this stuff is a lot of work and not everybody has the luxury of really changing some of that stuff because your work schedule, if it's something early and you're a night person, I mean, you have to get up early anyways for it. But let's talk a little bit about uh, what you change and, and how you feel because of it. So I think you're, you're exactly right about it being a lot of hard work. And I also think that if you can just make one or two changes over the course of a few weeks, you'll actually see a lot of great improvements. For example, what I did with a seemingly small tweak is that I stopped having black caffeinated tea first thing in the morning and I started having green tea later in the day. And I, I felt like I sort of counterintuitively, I was much, much less tired, much more energized um, and much less reliant on caffeine. And that was a really pleasing and surprising to see. I think that's one of the big ones that a lot of people would struggle with is uh, the coffee. I'm not a huge coffee drinker, so I never realized how people need it the first thing they wake up. And everybody's a little groggy when you get up. Your energy levels really start spiking as soon as you start going. You don't need the coffee or the caffeine until, I don't know, I think it was like an hour and a half until after you get your day started. So I think that's one of the main things that people would struggle with. But that's one thing specifically for you that helped out a lot. I mean, you didn't need it right away anymore. That's exactly right. And I remember when I talked to Dr. Bruce the first time, he mentioned that among his clients, that is exactly the hardest change for them to make is not waking up and immediately brewing that cup of coffee or tea. But when they, they do, they're really glad that they eliminated that. One of the last main things too is when people tend to eat dinner. A lot of people eat late and then go to sleep right after that. <laughs> you should be eating about three hours before you go to sleep just to let your body process all that stuff and not keep you awake at night. Yes, I am definitely or I have definitely been guilty of the, the eating and conking out right away. I think that the best advice is to eat, I think for bears around 7.30 to 8. You want to eat dinner and then give yourself a few hours, say if you go to bed at 11, to kind of wind down. And Dr. Bruce called the powering down, like not, you know, going on Facebook or Instagram, taking off all screens and then going to sleep only then. I'm interested to see the schedule that would be more to, towards my type, obviously a wolf, but I, I think it's just important 
important you put it all together. It's tough to get all that sleep and you want to have that energy to take you up throughout the day. But this does seem to hold true. Some of this stuff, you know, we all have different schedules. We all have our energy levels different throughout the day and you just have to play to all those strengths. Shauna Leibowitz, reporter for Business Insider. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.